Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. The Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis talking about the media, talking about telling the truth. I'm Rex Smith here with my colleagues, Rosemary Armeo and Judy Patrick and Ian Pickus. We are, well, what are we? We are uh, old. <laughs> no, Wise. Not, not Ian. <laughs> oh, oh, Wise. <laughs> We're grading on a curve. Uh, there we go. <laughs> All right. Ian is the news director of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. I'm the former editor of the Times Union. Judy Patrick here, formerly editor of the Daily Gazette. Rosemary Romeo, investigative journalist, etc. And so we can talk to you about what's going on in the media. And we have to address, I guess, the elephant in the room, Donald Trump being that elephant all the time. We need to talk about the fact that since we were here last, the former president of the United States was once again indicted. And, of course, this became a huge story. How did the media cover it, for starters? Rosemary, you want to give us a first crack? Uh, It was a little disappointing if you watched it on TV or heard it on the radio. I did both. I had my computer open at the same time because I'm a news junkie. The truth of the matter is we know it all already. The January 6th committee covered much of the material, seems to have written almost the latest indictment that came from Jack Smith. And we saw all of that rolled out by the committee in a very well-produced manner. It was shocking and interesting. And so now it seems a little repetitive. And it should not be because the the hype actually is true. This is a historic thing. It has never happened that we've had a ex-president in this much legal trouble. And it seems somehow it should have been more interesting than it really was. Hmm. But it's a court case. And, Judy, we, we talked about this. They're not interesting inherently. They're slow moving. And they accrete over time. Right. There's a lot of waiting around. And when there's an arraignment, it's usually very pro forma. And then there will be a series of hearings, all of which will be boring. I mean, God bless court reporters because they have patience and they know there's a lot of waiting around to compensate, especially the broadcast reporters have to fill the airtime with talking about bike racks being put up or building, <laughs> building, you know, it's almost to a crescendo. Maybe it will happen. T- before the indictments were released, we heard a lot of maybe it will happen today. Oh, the foreman has left early or they had an early lunch. A lot of that going on, a lot of non inconsequential information that was disseminated just to keep the people listening. And they and it's true. Like Rosemary, I had I was listening on the radio. I had my Twitter feed mm-hmm. open. Mm-hmm. Uh, damn it, I went into the garden and everything dropped and I missed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Two things that stuck out for me. One, Trump breaking news once again on the Truth Social platform. He was correct. He was going to be indicted. And then, alas, he was. Also, there was a brief moment where we knew an indictment had been handed up, but not who was named in the indictment, which lasted a matter of moments before Jack Smith made his statements at about 6 p.m. And one other thing, the statement, which I guess we're used to now from Trump's team, likening this to Nazi Germany, Uh, barely made a ripple. And whereas that language would have just a few years ago been outrageous. People would have thought that that was beyond the pale. You know, what I was struck by was what different universes we live in. You know, we know the hold that Fox News has on its viewers. But when you looked at what Fox News looked like that night Mm -hmm. and how quickly they pivoted, actually the chirons, the lower thirds on the screen, were actually talking about Hunter Biden, or as they put it, Joe Hunter Biden. Or the Biden crime family. The Biden crime family is how Elise Stefanik always likes to characterize it in her very thoughtful way. 
And that became as much a topic of conversation. Fox got away from this as quickly as they could and turned it onto its head by saying this indictment of the former president for insurrection, which is, you may say, as close as you can get to actually treason, since that is a, a charge that can only be applied in wartime, that was quickly dismissed. And for that portion of the viewing audience, for about a quarter of the people watching television, which I think is what Fox News has, that's the reality. What do you think Fox is up to? Because all we've heard for the last number of years is how ready the Murdochs were to move on from Donald Trump to find a new GOP standard bearer to get behind in 2024. And now you watch the coverage of these mounting legal troubles for Trump and uh, it doesn't match what we've been reading. Yeah. I think they did try to get on to another person. That was Ron DeSantis, and he has proved very, very uh, disappointing in polls and in personal appearances. He's in trouble, and their own audience turned on them. They began That's... watching other other stations even more to the right than that. I think that the Murdochs are cold-blooded businessmen. They cut Tucker Carlson without a worry, paid off their lawsuit that pegged them as panderers of the news. They are not a news outlet. And now they're doing that again. And they just met with Trump recently on the day he was indicted. Yeah, they had dinner. The executives all had dinner with him. Great. And that had been prearranged, I Mm -hmm. understand, because they are going to cover the first uh, Republican debate. and Cover their sponsor. They're the host of it. Yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. They want the viewers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Trump has said that he will not be there. He'll have some competing events. So they wanted to talk him out of it, even though he had been indicted. It made no difference to them. They're they're protecting the franchise. And what it is, uh, Sean Hannity was supposed to go to the dinner, but he couldn't go to the dinner because he had to host his show, which was that unexpected. Of course he had to host his show on an evening in July, so he would have been there. I can understand the executives wanting to get Trump on that debate stage. It's a minor debate at the end of a summer, uh, at the end of summer, not very many people are going to be watching it, but they want to establish them, reestablish themselves among those Trump supporters. They're losing audience. All the cable stations are losing audience because people are, are getting bored. I mean, everyone's I- losing audiences. NPR is losing audience. Yeah, all the audiences are going away. But the difficulty for Fox, and I think the answer to your question, Ian, is that they got their hands burned by actually calling accurately the election, Mm -hmm. by calling Arizona Mm -hmm. on the election night 2020. And Trump got furious with them and Trump's audience got furious. And so they're not going to make that mistake again of actually doing real journalism. (laughs) Even though it cost them $780 million (laughs) in in a payment or a settlement with Dominion Voting Systems for conveying all that incorrect election information. And there's other lawsuits still outstanding against them. Yeah. So they hyped the fake news that Trump was actually the winner. They lost hundreds of millions of dollars for it, and they're on the hook probably for a lot more since there's another lawsuit pending out there. But what that means is that there is actually more value for Fox in the long-term allegiance of the Trump army than there is in the losses that they may sustain by going along with his lies. So they're going to stick with it. They'll Mm -hmm. stick with the lies. It's a cold-blooded business decision. It has nothing to do with news. Maybe this is a good time to talk about the New York Times-Siena College poll released on the race, which showed in one of the crosstabs that I think just 5% of hardcore Fox viewers believe the charges against Trump are legit. 
Yes. Whereas the, I think the number was 38% of the Republicans who use legitimate news sources believe that Joe Biden won the election. So there's actually an eightfold increase in believing truth if you watch real news as opposed to watching Fox. But it is such an amazing allegiance to Trump on the Fox News there, audience. There, there is one crack in his armor, though. His donations are down, and money speaks more loudly to me than what you tell pollsters. But he has, in the latest filing, fewer givers and smaller amount of total donations. There's another silver lining if you're concerned about the spread of disinformation via Fox is the fact that viewership is down 26% in Fox primetime this year as opposed to a year ago. So not them and the number of people watching every night is a million or two and think of the millions and millions of people in the country. So maybe they're moving on, maybe they're getting their right wing information from more nefarious outlets but it might be perceived as good news that Fox is losing a little bit of its viewership. But everybody is. Fox more so than CNN, Fox more so than MSNBC. Fox most dramatically, 26%, as opposed to, I think it's in in the 11 and 12% for MSNBC. Well, who can blame people? I mean, I think that there is something to be said for aversion to the news that is... (laughs) Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am an enemy of good news. I've always found it sappy and overdone (laughs) and um, so and love hard news. But oh, my gosh, the planet, the war, Trump, aliens. It's everywhere. You have to take a break. And I'm not at all surprised to see a decline in audience across the board. New research by Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism found that the proportion of people who are extremely or very interested in the news continues to sink. Uh, The group was in the minority for the first time in the most recent survey last year, down from 67% of people said, yes, I am extremely or very interested in the news. 67% of Americans said that in 2015. Now it's down to 49%. So just in those few years. So this is significant that the news consumption habits, in fact, are such that uh, 38% of U.S. respondents to this poll say that they sometimes or often avoid the news. It's just, is it depressing or is it that have people just become overstimulated by it? Time was, and you all remember before I do, but you got your paper in the morning, you read it, and then you watched at 6.30, and that was the news for the day. It wasn't every minute of every day wearing you down. And I'll just say as a practitioner, we have a lot of grim gallows humor in the newsroom about all of the terrible human depravity and depressing stories that you have to know about in this business. And you have to turn a piece of your brain off just to write it up every day. Uh, I totally understand people who have pressed pause for a while because as Rosemary says, we cover mainly bad news, complicated stories, things that are uh, distressing, and you can only take so much of that. Right. When you're reading one paper a day and watching the 630 News, you only have two opportunities to avoid (laughs) the news. And now you have an opportunity every single minute. But I also think the pandemic made this worse because um, the pandemic was was individual to all of us. We all thought we were going to end up in an, um, you know, on a ventilator in a, in a hospital. And we had to stay attuned for so long, month after month. And uh, we saw all, uh, the, you know, all the controversy over. And I think it got us in this heightened state. And then Trump, the, all the Trump antics come along that make it even worse. So um, I can understand that people are 
are avoiding the news. They, there's nothing you can do about the climate, they think, so they don't want to listen to those stories. Now, it's been going on for many years. You know, in the in the early 90s, I became the editor of the, the Troy paper, and it had an audited circulation then of, of 42,000. And we had this gallows humor as we saw the circulation dropping into the 30s. We laughed and said, it's the drive for 25. <laughs> we were looking for 25,000. That newspaper would be very happy right now with 5,000 print circulation, mm-hmm. I expect. Uh, and that has been going on forever as a function of the digital revolution in part, a function of how people get their news. But that's just the newspaper side of things. The fact is now it's affecting everyone. Uh, Year over year, the major cable news networks saw a combined viewership drop of 8.4% in June. So if you're dropping 8% per year, (laughs) that is not a sustainable trend. It's going to mean that the only way for these companies that own the news networks to actually make money is going to be to just make them more like Fox, to make them more entertaining, to really reach a segment, because segmented audiences you can make money on from a lower number by allegiance. And so that, it just seems to me, is what's going to continue to drive this sectoring of the I'm news. so depressed. I'm turning this radio off. <laughs> <laughs> Mid-show. <laughs> yeah, and there's some talk about the New York Times also seeing a, a 20% decline in readership. And, but that's off of the high that we got during the pandemic and during the Trump years. But the, the Pew numbers that we're talking about now are you're comparing to 2015. So those are real numbers and mm-hmm. real declines, substantial declines. We used to look at the obit page every day in the newsroom and think, oh, there goes five or six sub- subscribers. Yeah. Because, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. And so in part, it's, it's the, the death of older people who use this uh, conventional forms of, of media um, and the younger people are not are getting their news elsewhere. Well, and I'm telling you, if you're a, a smart news owner, then if if you own a news organization, you've got to be adapting to the digital uh, and social media platforms. You have to learn how to put it out there on TikTok. But are they? Is there news? I don't think it's a media uh, or a medium that people are turning off. I think it's news uh, any place. Right. There's a good point. Actually, here's the statistic on that. The Reuters Institute research of the news avoiders. What are they avoiding? 32 percent of them avoid stories about the war in Ukraine. Forty three percent avoid news about national politics. Forty one percent pass up stories about social justice. Forty percent ignore celebrity or entertainment news. I used to think that was what. Oh, my God. The Kardashians are in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) It really is bad. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that is just the the uh, the oversensitization, the fact that there's just too much of everything out there. Right. And it's and it I mean, if you work at a place like this, the stuff you make is already self-selecting. You've got to be a a certain type of news consumer to want to spend four minutes learning about the Plattsburgh Common Council budget debate. So uh, to begin with, it's a, it's a smaller audience. I will say, traditionally, there are peaks and valleys based on election years. So I think a lot of news outlets are hoping for a rebound in 2024. That's typically how it goes. During the presidential years, you're up, and during the midterms, you're down slightly. We'll see. I think the long-term trends, as you say, are not good. And it makes it difficult for legacy institutions uh, to meet their next generation of users because we just don't know where to reach them as easily as we once did. 
But if you believe that there is a value in giving people the information they need to make choices in democracy, if you value journalism, what do you do then? I mean, uh, three of us here are beyond the age of actually running things. Ian, <laughs> you're still uh, here in the thick of it. How do you then uh, deliver on the promise, uh, on the imperative of giving people the information if you know that uh, people don't really want to pay attention to the news, uh, that they are getting too much of it? Uh, what do you do? Do you... Do you uh, fly hot air balloons or something? <laughs> How do you reach people? Traditional old school media. Well, if I had the answer to that, I'd be in a probably a different position right now. But I think what we're doing is treating the way we've always done things as the baseline and trying to build above that baseline. We'll do the radio. We'll, we'll keep the radio station going 24-7 for everybody who has gotten their news that way. And then let's put some scaffolding up a news podcast that gives you stuff that we're not putting on the radio all the time, that caters it right into your earbuds. Uh, increased presence on Facebook, Twitter, aka X, and threads of which we were an early adopter this time around. And I think that's kind of the future is self-promotion of the product uh, while still tending the original fire. Yeah, I think there has to be, you're right, there has to be a way to actually almost cleverly and surreptitiously deliver news. Uh, I like one of the things... Trojan horse. Yeah, <laughs> you slip it in here and there. If uh, I, I used to have this notion and put forward, I, I couldn't get a, a local station to do it, but when I was the editor of the Times Union, I was trying to get local rock stations to uh, agree to a partnership that would give us a 40-second uh, headline hit uh, in every hour so that we could just and have a really a young voice saying here are things you should know from the Times Union newsroom that would come in right in the middle of uh, a, a music segment and uh, give people just a little bit of it so that a there would be a bit of news delivered to these people and b it would be our brand um, it seemed like a brilliant idea <laughs> <laughs> and it never took off? Never took off. It must not have been so brilliant. The programmers of rock radio stations said to me, no, that's not what our audience wants. And, of course, they're right. Uh, and, and I was just trying to get in there. I w they would have sold me the time, uh, but uh, we weren't interested in doing that. So you end up doing odd other things that get your brand across, like uh, the Times Union spent $350,000 a year to buy the name of the uh, arena. Stadium. You know, mm -hmm. the, the Times Union Center, it was called. I don't know that that did much, but oh well. <laughs> but clearly what we have been doing isn't working because the numbers are down. And yeah. we need to experiment, be innovative, and even really rethink about what we think is news and what people need to know. Because... Obviously, we're doing something wrong. So if, for example, the climate change issue is huge uh, and you're a, a, a news director who wants to make something out of that to try to reach people who, who aren't getting that information, um, I think you have to work on partnerships, though, don't you? People are going to be looking for information about the weather so maybe what you need to do is somehow get yourself onto a weather app when people are keeping track of what's happening or uh, so that you can get the news into these places and, and sort of shoehorn it in where people might not expect to see it. You're raising a great point, Rex, which is when the going gets tough, people find their way back to local news. Um, we experienced that in July with the horrific flooding and 
the lower Hudson Valley and Vermont and parts of Massachusetts. Uh, you know, we were hearing from people as we were covering that story in real time in a way that maybe we don't if it's uh, 75 and sunny. Right. And when it's smoky, we, we, you saw a lot of interest in what what was happening in your town or my town when the smoke came in and I, you had to turn to a local news source. And then what would be the opportunity to start talking about climate change? Because, man, you couldn't go outside to walk the dog because it was too smoky. Have you considered the possibility where we all want to sell the news and bring it back and repackage it and make it attractive? Maybe maybe we're done. Maybe this is like trains. And people are not interested. They don't want to know about climate change. They they know enough about it to just say, I don't want to know any more about it. And ditto for pandemics, for war in Ukraine, that um, this is not something you can sell or make attractive, that it's done. Well, you know, in the best uh, voter turnout years, it's 50 percent. Yeah. And that is something for us to think about. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, we still sell books. People read books, right? So it's not like long form information, but they don't want news. It's it's it is depressing. You know, one of the things when I've been promoting uh, when I'm asking people to please read the the 45 page indictment, the most recent one for the the former president Donald Trump, I I couch it as this is as a citizen you you have a responsibility to read this, and so we go back to the old thing of. And the education system has to focus more on it's important you as a citizen, you really have a responsibility to stay attuned, to stay aware of current events. I used to hate current events when I was in high school. But really, back, and you became a journalist. Know, I'm so I'm, surprised. I, 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 yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but now I, I understand the value of it. But I, I think that it starts then. I think it starts with um, telling your, your children and your grandchildren to be aware of invasive species, of, uh, of the smoke in the air, of, of what's happening with the president. Well, you know, I, I have often said on this show how valuable and important news literacy is. We have to teach young people about that, but it doesn't seem to be happening very much. I don't think that the schools are really uh, buying into the idea. But it does seem as though if we're going to sustain democracy, it has to happen in the schools, that we have to uh, give young people a sense of why it matters, why they need to pay attention to what's going on in the world and, and the issues that they confront. Why do they? What would you say to them? I'm you sorry? Te- what, why do they? Why do they have to pay attention? Yeah. Because an ignorant populace is going to be dominated by people other than themselves. They're going to be the uh, the losers. And you see? We're seeing it. We're seeing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we have, I'm sorry, but uh, it is... You cannot say that the presidency of Donald Trump was a high watermark for intelligent leadership. Well, actually, if you say that in a college classroom right now, you can be held to account and booted out. So it is it is a very dangerous situation that we're in. People do not see the value of it. They do not see that they have a duty to citizenship. And when they want to know about why is the air smoky, they don't turn to a newspaper or turn on the radio. They go on Twitter X, whatever, whatever, Facebook, and ask their friends. We, we, are, we are moving away from, from media and, and going back to gossip, basically. And politicians, there are a lot of politicians who are happy with that, who are happy to denigrate the value of education oh, yeah. and to tear oh, down yes, the educational sir. system, of course, and, and to just substitute their own, um, <laughs> let's say, information about it. That's 
again, why we have to get this across to people that this is a valuable situation, but it's really hard to get into the classroom. So I'm teaching media literacy at UAlbany. You are now all invited as individual <laughs> speakers to talk about why this is important and how to see if you can't get through to them. Huh. And are you teaching, uh, what kind of students are you teaching? The freshmen. Oh, oh, great. So yeah. this they're is, fresh. They're untouched. <laughs> wow. And uh, do they sign up for this as a uh, an elective, or is this required in some way? It, it's uh, if you want to go into journalism or communication, it is a required course. Ah. Uh, see, I, I really tried. I was the chair of news literacy for the American Society of Newspaper Editors, and I tried to get presidents and deans all over the country to make this an early required course for right. you know right. in the curriculum so that everybody would have to get information right. um, and there was actually at the time it seemed like some decent preliminary research coming out of uh, classes funded by the Ford Foundation down at Stony Brook University suggesting that there was a real value to mm -hmm. this that students could learn why it matters but um, you can't get that into higher education. You couldn't. And the presidents would say, well, I have to talk to the deans. And the deans would say, ah, oh, the department heads won't take it. The faculty wouldn't accept and it. And even if they love the idea, it'll take three years before anything happens. So, right. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll be back reporting on this, I have a feeling, over the next year to see oh, if this Oh, I'm really this anxious really to hear work. about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. It may have cost me some percentage points on Rate My Professor, but I did a weekly current events quiz in every class I, I ever too. taught. And no kidding. Up, up to uh, seniors taking a 475 writing class, and I don't see any downside to doing it. Yeah, I did the same and weren't you totally depressed by the results? <laughs> I'll tell you my favorite answer ever off the air. <laughs> Darn! <laughs> we almost had something there. Well, folks, if you have thoughts about this that you'd like to share with us, media at wamc.org is how you intersect with us. Media at wamc.org and we will uh, use your thoughts as we go forward on the next uh, edition of the show. This is the Media Project where every week uh, we get a chance to talk about telling the truth, we hope, uh, through the media. So thanks for joining us. Ian Pickus was here from WAMC, Rosemary Armeo, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith. We thank our producer, Dave Gustina, for putting up with us here, and we thank you also for joining us once again this week on The Media Project. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspapermen are such interesting people. When they know they've got a people's fight to wage. The Media Project is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. This week's projectors include Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany. Rex Smith, former editor of the Times Union and Substack columnist, and WAMC News Director Ian Pickus. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. I'm your producer, David Gustina. Thanks for listening. To working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, -a -ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, -a -ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.